what is there to say after that? Um, just really want to honour Bill for that tremendous testimony of God's leading, um, his leading in your life, your ministry. And I want you to hear so much of what he said in terms of how God has led and used a man like that. As I thought about what I'd like to share here tonight, I thought I would follow the same kind of trend as Bill has shown just before, and that is share something of my own story, because most of you know me within a certain context, but that's only been the last 10 years of my life. There was quite a bit before that. And so what I want to do tonight is not um, is not focus on me, but focus on the fact that God is faithful. That's my story. I don't want it to be a, a time of um, boasting. I don't want it to be a time of even storytelling. But I do want to share three significant events in my life where I believe God met me and God spoke to me and continued the direction of where he was taking me in my life. I grew up on the south side, which is the promised land, um, <laughs> relatively speaking. We've recently moved over to the north side and I'm adjusting, let's say that. We're up in a Christian family, I'm the oldest. A lot of missions in my family, my, there's three generations of missionaries in my family, I'm the third generation. And so missions was a big part of our experience growing up, particularly with regard to India. But I always wanted to do medicine. That's what I wanted to do. That was my dream. I wanted to do medicine. However, by year 12, I was very disappointed in my final results. So disappointed that I thought I'm never gonna get into medicine. My grandmother died that Christmas, which was a very sad event. And after that, a few weeks later, second time round, I got into medicine, hallelujah. I'm there. So here we go, I want to be a doctor. But come year uh, two of medicine, it was tough, tough, man, tough. I was studying hard and I was barely making it. I think that year was the first year I failed anything. And I was barely making it. And uh, in that period, I was crying out to God, God, if this isn't what you, what you want me to do, I'll give it up, I'll do anything. One day... I'm walking along the riverbank, soul wrestling, crying out to God there in St. Lucia on the banks of the, of the river there with you, uh, down by UQ. And I had what I believe even to this day is the closest I've had to a vision. I looked down the end of my life and I saw a gravestone 
And on that gravestone, he was a good doctor. Now that's pretty good. I felt like God said to me, is that what you want? I said, no way. That's not what I want. I want something that's more than that. I want something that's beyond that. I want something that's really eternal. Let's see if this thing works now. Are we going here? Yeah. And God really used this verse to speak to me in a way that's become my life first. John 15, 16. You didn't choose me. Now that meant something to me because coming to faith in Christ, even in a Christian family, was probably one of the greatest struggles I've ever had. I had an enormous amount of guilt. I had a lot of fear. And coming to a point of conviction and settlement in my salvation at the age of 15 was something very, very significant. So here he says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, fruit that would remain so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. I chose you. A sense of conviction in that sense that God has a purpose for me. And I want to speak this truth into your life this evening. I chose you, he says. I know you. I know what's going on. And I have a purpose for you. And that purpose has eternal significance. Not only is there eternal significance in that, but he will equip you. He will provide for you. He will make it happen. He will answer prayer. In the name of Jesus. All right, Lord, that's pretty good. I'm settling that one. I have a purpose. I know what he wants for me. I don't know what it is yet, but I know that it is eternal and I know you've got your hand on it. Okay, what Bible college do you want me to go to? God says, no, you go back and you do medicine. You study hard and you get there. And that's what I did. Six years of study and I became a doctor. Okay, Lord, now it must be the time. What have you got for me? Okay, no, you get in there and you work. Three years of work in the Royal Brisbane, pretty hard work. There's been the foundation, as I see now, for a lot of the stuff I'm doing now. And then we came to a point, I'm married by this time, and my wife and I decided that we would take a year out and we would do a bit of travelling. That was what we did. You do it too today. And uh, we would do some time in Thailand, some time in India, where my uncle was a missionary there for 20 years. Then we'd go on to Europe and we'd go on to England. So here we are in India. I've never 
been in a situation like that. Woke up the first morning, I got there, looked out the window, and there's an elephant walking down the street. Ah, elephants are in zoos, not out on the street. Went from the north where we landed, right down south where my uncle was, third class unreserved train travel in India, if you know what that means. I sat opposite my wife and I said, if your mother knew where I brought you now, she would have never let you marry me. Three days of travel like that, we get down to South India. And this is a long story, a long, long story, so I don't have time tonight. And my uncle told me about a ministry that had started up in India, a ministry called Operation Mobilization, which was fascinating, but really out of the box for anything that I was. I'm a pr pretty traditional guy, okay? Certainly at that time. So this kind of ministry, operation and mobilization is fascinating, but I'm skeptical. He said, I want to take you across India and I want to introduce you to a ship they've got called the Logos. It's just pretty brand new and they're just starting their ministry around the world. And the ship is over in a port called Pondicherry on the east coast of India. And uh, so we climbed into a VW van and drove overnight through India to the other side. Again, quite a remarkable experience. It's about out of the ordinary. It's not something that's a part of my normal life experience. And we come to the Pondicherry port and out at anchor, uh, out there was a ship Logos. I am not a seaman, I tell you. I'm not in any way a fisherman. I don't want to go near the water. I get seasick. And I had this strong feeling in my heart of God saying, this is where I brought you. Skeptical me says, that's a pretty good idea, God. Let's keep it to ourselves, told my wife. If you want me to be on this Logos, then you've got to organise it. You've got to get the leadership of this organisation to talk to me about it because I'm not taking initiative. I'm getting out of my comfort zone here. I'm really out there. That's not what I'm about. Well, guess what happened? The leadership leader, a fellow called George, sat down with me and he said, Alan and Rhonda, we've got an idea. And he shared with me the idea of us sailing with the Logos initially for six months. Okay, well, we'll go back to the other side of India, pick up our luggage and come and join you. No, no, we want you to just come with us now. That, again, was very much out of the ordinary. I had the awful feeling later on that I saw people walking around in our clothes that we'd left on the other side of India. Anyway, most of our clothes were not suitable because I found out later that here I am as a pretty 
normal, average Australian young adult at that time in the 70s, very longish hair, bushy sideburns, that the leadership initially thought I was a hippie, my uncle was trying to convert. No, that process of conversion had happened some time before. I was just not culturalised like Billy was telling us about before. So initially we stayed on the Logos for that initial six months and it ended up being 15 years on the Logos and on the Doulos. What a tremendous experience of being able to fulfil what God has called us to do. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's the boss. He's the one who's calling the shots. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It was a very difficult experience, a very difficult decision. And it took me months to make it to actually put medicine right aside. Because that wouldn't, wouldn't fit within that particular ministry. And then continue to serve on board. But what an experience. An experience of leadership development. I became the executive director of Logos. I became the executive director of Doulos following that. Leadership George was a mentor that really taught us, that really helped us to grow. And we're involved in, what, probably 60 different countries right throughout the world, from Latin America, Europe, Africa, but predominantly in East Asia. That's where things really grew over several visits of the Logos, then the Doulos. Thousands of people, by now with the ships, millions of people have come on board, have gotten something of God's word, but as well gotten practical help in educational literature and other community development programs from the teams that go out. What a remarkable ministry it's been. What a privilege. One port, for example, of Tutukoran in the south of India, one day, 24,000 people came on board that ship. Normal was several thousand. What a hectic, hard work, but a remarkable work in God's time and in his way. Was it hard? Yes, it was. Most voyages, I was seasick lying on the floor. The bed that I had on Doulos, because Doulos bounced up and down like this, I couldn't lay on it straight. I'd go up and down, up and down. And I'd say to my wife, let's pack up. I'm going up to my office and sleeping on the floor. But by his grace, by his provision, he gave us what we needed to get through. 15 years of working on board, not only with people from the outside but the volunteers and young adults who came and worked with us on board this was back in 1975 what a privilege at that time over 30 different nationalities now on the Logos Hope 
it's probably 50 or 60 different nationalities of people from all over the world of making disciples, of investing in people's lives, of being able to give of ourselves. Many of those guys there are either Christian leaders in their own right, head of mission organisations or uh, pastors. Others in an ordinary job but being effective for the gospel. So 15 years of that and 15 years living in Germany, which was a support base for the ship ministry. And that is when a lot of my pastoral and counselling work really developed and grew. That's where it flourished, a lot of field visits, a lot of individual work. And uh, it became pretty obvious after 15 years there with our kids, you know, young adults, um, that we should think about returning to this place that we call home, which was a major, major transition. Can't tell you the whole story of that, but when we came back, I thought the best of my life was behind me and it was now downhill for the rest of the way. And I thought that is not a really encouraging perspective. But remarkably, God showed a way to get some extra training and showed me where my medical registration could link together. And when I understood that and saw what was happening, I felt a little tap on the shoulder. Alan, you gave it up. Here it is back again. I've kept it. He's faithful. Here it is. Not in the form that I thought when I was a young 26-year-old, but in a way that has now matured and is developed and has incorporated all the life experiences. So I work out of this position that you understand me in today with a history of God's faithfulness. There's a story there, there's a story of an ordinary guy, a story of someone that when you let your life over and you've given it to him, he takes it and he fulfills his purpose. He fulfills what he has in mind. You didn't choose me, Jesus says. I chose you. And I want to ask you tonight that by God's Spirit, you will hear what God is saying to you in that way. He knows you. He knows the issues in your life. He knows where you're at. I chose you, he says. I know who you are. I will do it. God is faithful. I will do it, he says. You might think, well, what an incredible story, and it is in many ways, but it's not a story of my doing. 
It's a story that goes right back to the 15-year-old kid confronted with his own fear, confronted with his own guilt and struggles in his life. And that one night responded to Jesus and said, I will believe you, Jesus. I believe in my heart that you died for me. And I confess with my lips that you are my Lord. Have I been up and down sometimes? Sure, I've been up and down. But rock solid in my heart, this verse, Romans 10 and 9, is the one verse that God really made sense to me. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now this story that I'm talking about tonight, a story of God's faithfulness, a story of his working in my life, is a story that comes right back to this. We'll be taking communion in a moment. And I want to invite you to take this communion with a new sense of not just remembering that Jesus Christ died, but as you take this communion, that it is a statement of your confession. It's a statement of your profession that Jesus Christ has died for you on that cross that he is your Lord, that he has a purpose in mind in your life and he speaks to you tonight. I will do it. So as we come to communion, can we just have a short while of, of silent prayer just cement that transaction and understand that as you're ready to do so, just come forward and take one of the wafers and dip it in the wine represented of his blood and go back to your seat and take it in remembrance of him. This is my body, he said, which is broken for you. This cup is the cup of the New Testament in my blood, which was shed for you. Take you and remember me. Allow this few minutes of quiet transaction in your heart and then understand the music will come and lead us in worship. Amen.